0: 640 Toronto presents Think Tank, the breaking stories you care about. Please, tell me. Okay, I'll tell you. The back stories you don't know yet. That's my question! Facts and opinions that get you through your day.
1: You never know what you're going to get.
0: And now let's meet the guests.
2: Let's do that. 16 degrees right now in downtown Toronto, up to a scalding high of 26 later on today. We've got Ben Mulroney in studio with us. You were just on an hour ago. Yes, you're indeed. ubiquitous. Yeah. You're, you're everywhere. You're omnipresent. You're all of it. Oh. And here you are again. And here I am again. Yes. In person. <laughs> and we've got uh, Warren Kinsella, columnist for the National Post on the phone. Fo- you're aware of Ben's work. You're aware of Ben's a persona, Warren. You guys know each other. We do indeed, good morning,
0: gentlemen. Good morning, Warren. How are you today? Great
2: good it's Monday though but <laughs> yes, An- anything good. could happen. I was thinking about that. how Monday was our first work day last week to react to the House of Commons scenario was with Yaroslav Hunka. It was two weeks ago today that the announcement about uh, India, uh, the accusation that they state sponsored an assassination of a Canadian in Surrey, BC. Guys, that feels like six weeks and eight weeks ago. Respect. To, how is that? Seven days and fourteen days ago, Warren.
1: It's uh, it's been a lot of news. A lot has been happening. I know a lot of people, the federal liberals in particular, would like the. Nazi in the House of Commons story to go away. You know, they made an effort to erase Hansard. They have issued talking points to MPs saying, don't talk about it. But the story really isn't going away. As you guys know, uh, particularly in the Jewish community around the world, uh, they've been focused on this story. And I think the main reason for that is, as far as we know, Prime Minister Trudeau still has not picked up the phone and called President Zelensky in Ukraine and apologized personally. There's been outreach done at the government level, but no personal apology. Like Ben, and yeah.
2: you, you were in Monday and we talked so much about this story. It was raw. It was raw in your household over yeah. that particular weekend. If I told you seven days later what Warren said, that there wouldn't be... A phone call that you don't go. Here's what happened. Here, let me lay it out. And I'm incredibly sorry. If you apologize to the rest of the country, that's one thing. But you got to pick up the phone, send an email. You have to do something to let that person know you got how bad it was and how embarrassing it was.
0: Yeah, I've talked to some, some people who are sort of close to the Ottawa circles uh, for the uh, over the past few days, mm-hmm. and I said, I said, look, if the Nazi in the House of Commons is a ten on the barometer of outrage how high is it for the fact that it took our prime minister 5 days before he issued any semblance of an apology which by the way i think was not enough but it took 5 days so they they all said the same thing it's like a 15 to me that at this point is uh is is what's driving it his the the inability to um to get ahead of this thing and 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 do the right thing like it, to me common sense dictates that you you don't call a midnight uh, uh, meeting with all of your cabinet ministers which by the way I learned when I was listening to you and Warren on this show yeah. um and and then uh and, and the pro- the point of that was to get everybody on side to make sure okay don't talk to the press and here you're, here's what you're going to be saying but but you couldn't come out the day of or day after and apologize uh for this snafu it, it to me it's that's for a company, for for a government that prides itself on being great communicators, this was a terrible flop.
2: Warren, if we pushed you right into the the Justin Trudeau inner circle last week, I, I feel like you wouldn't have allowed that to happen. You would have said there is no win here in shying away from this for two days.
1: Well, you know the the great prime ministers we've had, um, like Ben's dad and the guy I worked for, Jean Chrétien. I I don't think they would have let this happen in the first place, and the reason. Why is, you know, the embarrassment, obviously, but, you know, when you're in the prime minister's office, there's a lot of people there, guys, uh, as Ben certainly knows. And, you know, part of the job is to scrutinize lists and check out names and for appointments and for trips and for all sorts of things. And I just don't believe for a minute that the former speaker Uh, was the one who solely did this and and admitted this man into our supreme legislative chamber like this is the church of government and other people knew that this man was coming there and the thing that is most embarrassing is like you could do a simple google search and find out who he was in about 10 seconds so you didn't need to be a member of CSIS to figure it out. So we still have a lot of accountability. We still have a lot of atoning yeah. that we've got to do for this one. And you know, around the world, uh, Jewish media and in Israel, they're writing about the fact that this guy's not the only one. There were two thousand members of this unit accepted into Canada in the fifties.
0: Yeah, that's that 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 blows my mind as well. But I'm I'm still so disappointed that the apology we got was yet another teachable moment. All right. We messed up. Our guys messed up. But this is something we as a country can learn from. So everybody pay attention now because we're going to tell you what happened. It felt like the lesson that's learnt at the end of a children's show yeah. where the, 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 the kids get in trouble and then they say, okay, kids, what did we learn from Timmy and Bobby? Well, we learned that stealing isn't good. So let's all take that home with us. And right. no, again, like, no, no, this is like, I'm they they apologized for the um for the uh, you know, the act on behalf of everyone and how embarrassed we all are, it's like well, I'm embarrassed, but I'm not embarrassed for myself. I had nothing to do with. This. I'm embarrassed that you guys did this, and I'm angry that you did this. But but there there are people who bear responsibility, and we need to know who those people are, and they should take responsibility.
2: Not to align it, Warren, with nine eleven, but when I I actually bought the book that was the nine eleven commission report, and what was very clear in there is they said here's where communication fell apart, here's where security fell apart, here's what we're establishing to make sure. it doesn't happen again and and whether it's the patriot act whether it's homeland security we could agree disagree it goes too far it doesn't go far enough there's this isn't that but there's none of that here there's no knowledge there's no sense of here's the barrier that we'll put up to make sure something like this doesn't happen again if there is one the three of us don't know it
1: yeah that's a good point like the americans are are better at addressing this stuff a lot of the time like after 9-11 to use your example like at the time of 9-11, there were only three FBI agents who spoke Arabic, and they realized that that created a real shortcoming, and, and they fixed that. Like we need to be doing the same thing here. We need to obviously be doing a better job of teaching people our history and some of the, the unfortunate things that have happened in our history, and we need to be. Teaching people about the Holocaust and what took place during World War II. And, you know, when the Speaker of the House of Commons doesn't get it, we've obviously got a problem.
2: Yeah. I'm going to come back around on uh, some Toronto issues, but let's stick with this because there was a report over the weekend, Ben, that uh, that uh, Hunka's family, Anthony Hunka, who was in, uh, Yaroslav Hunka, I should say, was in the House of Commons, the 97 year old soldier in North Bay. This family's in hiding and they feel like they can't go out. And I can imagine, you can't just blend into the woodwork like you could in downtown Toronto, yeah. Ottawa, New York, Chicago. It's North Bay. So and it's remarkable because the report also said Hunka's son got in touch with Anthony Rhoda's office and asked if he could come to the ceremony. And if you knew your dad or grandfather and you knew what he'd done and you knew there'd even be the the, the slightest hint of controversy. I. Don't know why you send that email or pick up the phone and do that. It's got a lot. This
0: story has so many layers to it. I I I have to believe that the people of North Bay aren't out there with their pitchforks um, demanding uh, for their pound of flesh. But I do appreciate that uh, people in in that neighborhood in his community uh, have. He's probably developed um, connections to those people. He's put down roots. People feel an investment in him. You know, uh, I'm sure that he's been telling the story. He's been dining out on being a war hero for years without getting into the details. I would feel a sense of betrayal uh, as uh, if I lived in that community. Uh, so, so I can understand that there are people in that community that are, that are hurt. Heck, I'm sure the Jewish community has some things to say. Um, and uh, and so, so I get that. The, I, I don't know. Like, do we know whether he, uh, the family knew what role he played in the Second World War? Has that come out?
2: Doesn't seem like i Warren, if if you know, um, it's it's news to us, because I think that's really being able to sit down with the the daughter in law was the one tweeting about it. They show the picture of of uh, Yaroslav in the wheelchair. Apparently, he's in the prime minister's office waiting to meet him. That's another nebulous area we still don't know whether there's a photo that exists or whether there's a meeting and that's not some wacky conspiracy. It would only make sense pictures get taken. We saw Karina Gould take a picture with uh, with Yaroslav Hanka and then delete it from her Instagram.
1: yeah, I don't know what the family situation is, but you know all of us have been in the news business and I think that would be the first question we would ask the family is what did you know and when yeah did you know about this man's past. Mm. And if they did and offered him up to the speaker's office, well, that's a whole new story and they deserve criticism for that. But, you know, as is often the case, um, if they didn't know, I would imagine their father was not broadcasting this to the world and maybe not to his family. Well, they deserve to be left alone uh, because they are just as much victims of this as as, uh, the rest of us. But you know, that that would be the question I would ask them is, what did you know
2: and when did you know? it? Yeah, you sure can't control who your parents are yep. and what they did uh, before you were born or even when you were a little kid. You don't really uh, you don't really get a say on those things. Warren Kinsella is with us. So is Ben Mulroney. We're doing Think Tank as we do every weekday between seven thirty and eight o'clock. Let's circle back around to an issue. Ben, you and I talked about last week about Ontario Place. Yes. So I want you to hear Olivia Chow on Toronto Today on Friday. I feel like she kind of waved the white flag on being able to stand up to the provincial government here. I'll get your take, and then I'll get Warren's take yep. on her comments. It's
1: called Ontario Place. Because it's not city place. I know. It's not Toronto Place. We don't have much control over it. So I was, I'm, a, I'm a very practical person. I'm always looking to mediate and, and help out and see if there's a solution. So we said, hey, CNE, would you consider it? The premier is not that interested. Uh, Therma, the company, said we, we did the deal and the lease with Ontario Place. So
0: they, they're not that interested. Um, our staff will look at it, and maybe it's possible, maybe not.
2: Uh, governments usually aren't built on hope. Ben. I, I, we we spent a lot of oxygen four or five days straight about what would each candidate do with Ontario place. And I think it was lost on maybe all of us that it really isn't the city's call. It never was. Never
0: was. And here I've got a hot take on Ontario place. Now you're going to call me crazy, but I'm going to say this. I personally think that governments have no business in the business of amusement parks which is what Ontario place like they they on a good day a government has a tough time dealing with the issues that actually that they're in their wheelhouse infrastructure hospitals schools those are a challenge every day they have no business doing what disney and six flags do and mm-hmm. so and i i have great memories growing up of yep. uh, of ontario place i don't remember it being free and i and i know that cineplex uh, or to go to the Cinesphere, that costs money to go to the amphitheater that costs money. This is I have no idea why this is such a hot potato. I really
2: don't. Warren, how do, how do you view it from from your lens? Toronto Ottawa Montreal there's always private industry that gives you great places for families to go, great places to be outside and and tax dollars maybe shouldn't be associated with it to Ben's point.
1: No I totally agree with Ben. I don't think it's a hot take. I think it's common sense. I think politics is enough of an amusement park as it is. They don't,
2: they don't need to be
1: financing it. Uh, I reached out to some friends in uh, Mayor Chow's circle. Said, "Well, what gives?" Mm-hmm. It, it, the impression I get is you guys don't want to make this a hill to die on, and they didn't. They didn't deny it. And the bo- you know the bottom line is. The bottom line, like Olivia Chow has got, the city of Toronto's got a $1.5 billion deficit. By law, they're not allowed to run one. So she's got to make nice with her old adversary, Doug Ford, and she's been doing that. So it doesn't surprise me at all that she's pulling her punches on this. And, and the other thing to keep in mind, too, is even though she's got these strong mayor powers, she's got more power than you know any of her predecessors before John Tory, but she still is a creature. Municipal governments are a creature of the provincial government. That's why the provincial government ultimately has say-so of everything over Every town and city does. So I think she's being wise to pull her punches. This, this, as I say, is not the hill to die on.
2: Yeah, Ben, there's a lot of political capital that Olivia Chow needs to utilize yeah. with the province. And and that's why I remember saying that the morning after there wasn't much conversation about Ontario Place when she stood up and had a joint conference with Doug Ford. So people would call it horse trading. But I'm also I can't criticize Olivia Chow for saying. I can't get this, but I can sure ask for that other thing.
0: And also, let's not forget, if this thing is the success that they hope it is, it's going to be bringing in revenue to the city. And tourism. Uh, that, that, yeah. and, and tourism that it currently doesn't have I mean this 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 will be a whole new revenue generating play and what do we do with revenue we tax it so there you go the city the city's going to get something out of this and one last thing I want to say I find it very disingenuous when people talk about oh the waterfront the waterfront first of all a lot of the waterfronts going to be accessible because of, of the wetlands and the parks and the, all that stuff but nobody who's been a uh, part of any government for the past 40 years, uh, should 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 be able to talk down to anybody about the accessibility of Toronto's waterfront. It's been a mess for generations. This isn't going to make it worse. It's probably going to make it better. Um, and so. That's all I want.
2: And, and Warren, this has been very much painted by the opponent, says uh, an Austrian company like who owns Ripley's Aquarium, yeah. not a Canadian company <laughs> uh, who owns many of the you know sports franchises and stadiums that we cheer for a foreign company as well. Uh, Tim Hortons is owned by a foreign company right now. So we're a little precious about that aspect of it, aren't we?
1: Yeah, we are. And, you know, there are people out there we all know who they are who reflexively are against everything that Doug Ford does. You know, if he stood up and said, the sky is blue, they'd say it's green. So, you know, I think you got to look this, this, at this, this kind of story through the prism of that, that there's people who are always against what Ford does. And, you know, they tend to live in the attics and they're
2: mad at them all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Not not to isolate them. Uh, We'll we'll drop (laughs) a, drop an apple.
1: We'll
2: We'll drop a location pin on our, uh, on our phones and uh, get that later um just to let people know olivia chow will join alex pearson just after the 11 o'clock news this morning so uh that issue with that meeting with christian freeland will be part of the conversation ontario place will be part of the conversation all that stuff. All right, um, let's go to, to health care and this new power that pharmacists will have. People listening this morning, you've got more options for healthcare than just your family doctor. Pharmacists have been given new authority and power to grant prescriptions for a wide variety of ailments. But many probably think it's a Band-Aid on a gaping wound. Here's a pharmacist we spoke to earlier on Toronto Today, Kiro Massey, about what will happen.
1: Honestly, I, I still do think that a lot more needs to be done in healthcare. I'm not going to disagree with this. But at the same time, also, the idea of having minor ailments being treated by pharmacists who are capable of doing so in an appropriate environment, of course, uh, that's just a no-brainer. And that's something that's been going on in many other provinces quite successfully, and so they don't have to deal with things that, you know, really just Mm. take up resources unnecessarily.
2: Warren, a lot more people coming to live in Ontario, and we've got a doctor shortage to begin with. This this does feel like that band aid. Um, how do you how do you view whether this will help, or is this just part of a small percentage of a larger conversation we just have to keep having about about our healthcare system?
1: Yeah, I think there is a larger conversation here. Like, I hate statistics, but like here's a statistic that'll blow everybody away: like twenty percent of Canadians don't have a doctor. Twenty yeah. percent, six and a half million people. So that tells you why Sylvia Jones, the provincial health minister, did what she did over the weekend. And the other statistic I found interesting is in the United States, young doctors, when they graduate, half of them are getting a hundred solicitations for residency positions. Because they've got a doctor shortage as well, too. The problem we've got as a country is they've got the dough. You know, they can come into Canada as they've been doing for years and say to our young medical graduates who we've been financing through their tuition um, you know we'll pick up we'll cover your two hundred thousand dollar student loan debt come and work in Dallas come and work in LA and they're doing that and that's also part of the reason why we've got a doctor shortage so it makes sense to me what the Ford guys have done here and it's not a big deal like the treatment that she announced is stuff like acne and canker sores like big whoop Uh, it makes sense the question is you know is it enough to fix the problem that we've
2: got. It makes things more um, rudimentary for a, a person going in, Ben, or a family going in. It's yeah. obviously easier than trying to get a doctor's appointment and getting told, yeah, come back in 11 days well, a canker sore probably yeah. goes away and gives yeah. you pain for those 11 days and goes away on the 10th day, the day before you get your appointment. But none of this none yeah. of this, sort of covers up with a blanket the big issues that we've well, got here.
0: Look, this, I agree with Warren that uh, this was a great, a great idea. Take pressure off of, of places that, that need the pressure relieved. Um, and I, I read that 400,000 um, people prescriptions have been written out already. Now, I don't know what that means uh, as a total of how many prescriptions are, are, are written in this, uh, in this uh, province, but that's, that's 400,000 prescriptions that otherwise would have been uh, written by doctors. And, uh, and so that, that's a good thing. But the six and a half million uh, people who do not have a doctor that Warren brought up, that to me is, uh, look, that we spend about $9,000 per person on healthcare every year. So these six and a half million people, they've paid for their doctor. With their taxes, right. they don't have yep. a doctor. That's, that, is a, that is a structural problem that will not and cannot be fixed by throwing money at this problem. The, we, have a, we have a bureaucracy. I, 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 mean, I, I am not intimately uh, familiar with how our healthcare systems work, but I do know that when you have a machine that chews up money to, uh, to the tune of $9,000 per person a year— um, throwing 10,000 at it is not going to change anything. It's just going to eat up more money. So we, uh, what I, what I find ironic about this problem is we as Canadians poll after poll after poll suggests that we as Canadians view our healthcare as a defining aspect of who we are. That's how important it is. And if it is truly that important, then, then, then we have to be, we have to look beyond money. I mean, every solution should be on the table. Yeah, um, and yeah. I, by the way, I'm not coming here with any solutions. I'm simply saying if if it really matters this much to us, then we, 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 we can't just keep saying, well, more money will solve it.
2: Yeah. Warren, all I hear is and we are spending more money per person per health care in Ontario than we did five years ago, than we did 10 years ago. So the issue isn't money. Maybe it's where it's distributed. But so many European countries, so many Asian countries. They figured this out. They figured out a way to have some form of hybrid. All I hear is people say, well, we don't want to become the United States. Okay, fine. But no other country wants to become Canada or they would have by now.
1: Uh, yeah, we do have a problem now, and you know, the doctor brain drain is part of it. Nurses, too, yeah. it's not just docs. So, there's a number of things we can and should be doing, and I think a lot of the provinces are engaged in innovation and so on. But the one thing, guys, that public opinion research shows year after year after year is Canadians see this as part of their right of citizenship. They see this as part of being a Canadian and they don't want, you know, privatization is just like an Ottawa word to them for I've got to get out my wallet. I've got to get out my pocketbook. So that they don't want. And, the, you know, the political party that's governing that introduces wholesale privatization ain't going to be reelected. Uh, and every politician in this country knows that.
2: I got a few minutes left. Well, I want to turn. It's related, certainly because of the healthcare uh, strain in Ontario. But I want to turn this towards immigration. And the governor of New York is Kathy Hochul. She's a Democrat. She took over, obviously, for Andrew Cuomo. And she made a comment over the weekend that very few have said. Her mayor in New York City, Eric Adams, also a Democrat, has started to say things like this about immigration and about refugees and migrants. Here's Kathy Hochul over the weekend well we
1: want them to have a limit on who can come across the border it is too open right now uh... people coming from all over the world are finding their way through simply saying they need asylum and the majority of them seem to be ending up in the streets of new york and that is a real problem for new york city one hundred and twenty five thousand newly arrived individuals and we are being taxed Now, we are always so proud of the fact that new york has the Statue of Liberty in our harbor. We, we are mm-hmm. one of the most diverse places on Earth because of our welcoming nature, and our. it's in our DNA to welcome immigrants. But there has to be some limits in place, and Congress has to put more controls at the
2: border. I got a minute for each of you here. Warren, give me your thoughts on that comment. No one in Canada is saying this right now, and there's a Democrat saying it.
1: Yeah, Greg. I mean, Greg. If you hadn't told people that that was a Democrat, you know, they would have thought maybe it was a Republican. So, and Eric Adams has been sounding this alarm longer than she has, and he's a hardcore Democrat. So, you know, there is a problem in the United States. They got hundreds and hundreds of people coming to New York City every single day, and they got nowhere to put them. And Toronto's got a, you know, the same problem. The very first thing that Mayor Chow did was talk to. Trudeau and to Ford and Ford joined her on the fact that you know we're accepting people into the country who the owe the dignity of a roof over their heads, mm-hmm. but we're not giving it to them. So we need to fix that before we accept more people.
2: Ben, it's odd if if Doug yeah. Ford or Olivia Chow says exactly what the governor yeah. of New York says today. There's a there's a poop storm is the oh. best way I can put it.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Well, what what's the line? Only Nixon could go to China. Like it it, it, it <laughs> t- no, but it takes right. it takes somebody that you wouldn't expect to come to that conclusion. Uh, and, and there is a problem whether, uh, at this point, it's it's being recognized. For the longest time, what was happening in the on, on the southern border was being viewed as a political hot potato. And anybody who was complaining about it, uh, they were r- right-wing ideologues. And unfortunately, a lot of them are. But mm-hmm. that doesn't change the fact that there is a crisis there. And the fact that the Democrats are now seeing that and are talking about it, maybe with a little more compassion, maybe that's what that's what this needs in order to move forward.
2: Yeah, you nailed it. We looked at all these people in El Paso, Texas, and Albu- Albuquerque, New Mexico, and thought, oh, why aren't you more welcoming when it lands on your streets in New York and Chicago? And and we want people coming here to have a shot. Yeah. And they don't have a shot if they're sleeping on the street and all they have is a blanket. You're not giving people the infrastructure for it. Warren, i got to leave it there. Thank you so much for the time. Thanks, guys. Warren Kinsella, columnist from the National Post, and the awesome Ben Mulroney, thank you for doing this for no, us. No, my
0: pleasure. My pleasure.